I'm Tom Schultz, host of Voices of Montana. Thanks for joining us for the podcast today, brought to you by Blackfoot Communications. Does your home qualify for a $70 discount on your internet bill? Blackfoot Communications is proud to partner with the FCC to help ensure that households can afford the broadband necessary for work, school, healthcare, and more. For more information on this federal program and to see if your household qualifies for a discount on your internet service, visit goblackfoot.com ACP. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. Right into this, a bit later on, Tino Sonora, Dr. Robert Tino Sonora, Associate Director of the BBER. Saw him, well, I know Cody did here. I didn't get a chance to go over there at that day, but uh, at the uh, Economic Outlook Seminar Series that was in Billings here recently. Uh, so that was good, but we'll catch up with him here. Catch up with him here. Uh, he is actually the Director of Healthcare Research at the BBER. So he'll, and he's done a lot of studies on these things. So we'll get more uh, into the details here, uh, specifically on the nursing home challenges too. And we'll continue to, to kind of look at that. First, let's welcome uh, our guest here, a native Montanan. This guy, uh, he kind of scares me a little bit because you look at his, uh, his background here. He was the administrator of the Division of Criminal Investigation in the Montana Department of Justice for 20 years. He was a drug enforcement uh, administrator as well, working in Texas and Nevada. And, and it's Mike Batista, now Director of Government Affairs for AARP Montana. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Good morning, Tom. I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. I didn't go to the Super Bowl. Did you? <laughs> I did. I did uh, I know you did. <laughs> uh, did you enjoy that? I mean, you you were with family too, weren't you? Yeah, we were, there was like twelve of us that went, and uh, I was one of two Eagles fans. The rest uh, <laughs> were Chiefs fans, so uh, it was it was a tough game for me. It was a great game, but a tough game down towards the end. <laughs> well, we'd love to hear some stories, but uh, I'm sure they'd be all watered down anyway. So uh, uh, <laughs> I think we'll. Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll go with um, uh, our assignment today. And that's to look at this 68th legislature and look specifically at the some age-friendly health care. Um, nursing homes come into play there, too. And I know that we'll get into that in, in different areas. And I think the legislature is sending some things out there to address that. But you've got Transmittal upcoming this week, Mike. And I know I was chatting with you just briefly yesterday. Uh, you were heading into a hearing. Um, there's there's probably a ton of stuff, real, real busy atmosphere. What's your, what's your take so far? Yeah, you know, actually, it's, I mean... Things have moved real fast in, in, in the legislature, and, and now, as you mentioned, as we get closer to transmittal, um, you know, there are uh, uh, the committees are working real hard. They're, they have a lot of hearings on a significant number of bills. Um, I think it was in a couple of hearings yesterday, and there were like 11 bills going to be heard, and then following the hearings on those bills, you know, each committee was going to take executive action to determine whether or not the, the uh, previously heard um, bills were going to get out of committee. So, it's it's sort of a race to to the transmittal deadline, which is which is Friday, and so uh, there's a lot being heard. It's a, it's a busy time, so and maybe people don't understand what the transmittal deadline um, is. I know that there are some some bills, some measures, specifically the funding bills. I don't necessarily fall underneath that. Yeah, you know, I mean, really, what transmittal just means is it's it's. You know, bills that were that started on the House or will now have hearings on the Senate, and and vice versa for bills that started on the Senate side will go over to the House side, and then you know it sort of gives the appropriations committees a chance to sort of uh, do a roll up of where we're at with the bills that you know that that have at least initially made it 
made it to uh, a hearing on, on the appropriation side. So, you know, people are sort of rolling up the money to, to see where we're at because, I mean, there's so many uh, tax reform bills, um, you know, other bills, policy bills that have that, that passed would have some sort of financial impact. So, so money's a money's a big deal as always, but it seems yeah. like this session uh, more so than ever before. What are you tracking? So, I mean, our priorities have really been the pocketbook issues. Like you know, like I just mentioned, it's it's all about money. I mean, we're we're, we're in sort of t- uh, tough economic times for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, coming into the session, uh, the property tax issue was on. I, I can I think I can say this with a lot of certainty on. Every legislator's mind, they heard from their constituents, and, uh, you know, the rising cost of property tax is a big deal. So the property tax issues, there's a, there's a rebate on property taxes um, that's, a, that's, that's a government governor's bill, um, and, and we're supporting that and doing work on that. Um, that's, a, that's a tax rebate on principal residents up to $1,000 a year for the tax years, you know, 2022 and 2023. And then we're also uh, supporting a property tax assistance program, PTAP, as it's called. Um, it's a bill that updates income eligibility guidelines for, um, you know, for, for low to moderate income Montanans. Uh, it really does sort of help them out on the property tax issue. So we're, that one hasn't been moving, so we'll do some work on that one today. And then uh, Representative Mercer had a bill that started out as sort of a property tax, income tax, uh, refund sort of relief package. Um, well, the appropriations committee stripped out the the uh, the property tax part of it, but the income tax refunds. Um, I think it, it would be a refund for over four hundred thousand Montana taxpayers, up to you know twenty five twenty five hundred for persons filing jointly, and this includes somewhere around a hundred thousand middle income. Montana's age 50 to 64. Oh. So those really are the three sort of key pieces of legislation on the financial side that we are supporting and working hard to see get across the finish line. And they deal mostly with, um, uh, you know, like you say, uh, pocketbook issues, property tax. Uh, is there anything um, in the overall health care um, arena um, that you guys are yeah. keeping an eye on? Yeah. Yeah, there are for sure. I mean, you know, I think coming into the section uh, session, um, everybody probably read an article at one time or another about uh, the nursing home issue here in Montana. And um, you know, in, in short order, what that what that is is, you know, we had I think it was twelve nursing homes that closed um, this past year. Um, the big challenge for nursing homes was. Uh, the provider rate increase, um, you know, the Center for uh, Medicare and Medicaid uh, pays a certain rate increase for um, for people that uh, go into nursing homes. Um, they provide that rate to the nursing homes. The nursing home industry is basically saying this, this rate is unacceptable. We can't continue to stay in business, uh, pay our people, provide quality care at this particular rate. So, this was a big issue going into the to the um, committees that heard all about the issue from the Department of Health and Human Services. Coming out of the committee, the committee decided that, and I, and I think that the, the governor as well, that uh, the governor got together prior to the 
um, prior to the session and put and, and paid for a provider rate study um, to be done here in Montana, and that was provided to the committee. Uh, right now, I think 50% of that provider rate number um, is is being funded. Um, there are people working hard, particularly in the nursing home industry, assisted living industry, to get that rate up higher, get it up to 100% of what the recommendation was from the from the study. Um, so we'll so, sort of pay attention to that. I mean, I think the big, the big question becomes, you know, if, if that rate is increased, um, will we see, you know, more nursing homes, uh, in some cases, assisted living facilities be able to make a go of it here in Montana. And I think some of it, the big question for us has always been, you know, we're, su- we're supportive of that. However, we also recognize that at some point there's going to be, have to be this transition to in-home care because it's, you know, when we do surveys of, of uh, folks here in Montana, um, you know, it's like, 86% of all people would like to age in their home. Yeah. So we're looking for out of this. We're looking for, you know, help for the nursing homes because there are a certain, there is a certain population that benefits from nursing home. Uh, most assisted living facilities are private pay, so they're not as, they're not impacted as much. But we'd like to see sort of some indication that the department is going to eventually transition a little bit and put more resource, resources towards in-home care, and that's that's our expectation. What, there is a bill. I'm sorry, what what would that look like? What would more resources look like? And we're with Mike Batista, Director of Government Affairs for AARP Montana, as we kind of recap this first half of the legislative session for the age-friendly crowd and also talking about um, health care overall. What are some of those the more resources that would enable people to live longer in their homes? Yeah, you, you know, I think what that looks like, Tom, is is I think um, it, it's really the department sort of taking an inventory that here's here's the number of people that are well-suited and could benefit from nursing homes, recognizing that assisted living facilities, the majority of them are private pay. So out of that Medicaid pot of money, Knowing that you know the, that the business model may need to change, do we repurpose the funding? Does more funding go to services for in-home care? And all of this is really dependent on um, keeping, maintaining, and growing a quality workforce for all of these long-term care options for older Montanans. And I think. That's the part that people need to, and the department specifically, need to put under a microscope and figure out, you know, what those numbers look like and then apply the revenue accordingly. And then uh, keeping those, um, uh, I I would say maybe seniors, but those who want to remain in home, in home uh, also means keeping everything about home ownership uh, affordable. So I know that we've we've kind of talked about that. We'll get into the economics of things here a little bit more a bit later on with uh, Dr. Robert Tino Sonora, again, Associate Director of the BBR and Director of Healthcare Research. We're going to take a quick break and come on back and we'll have more from Mike Batista as we look at this 68th legislative session getting to kind of hit the halfway point here upcoming this week. They're certainly in the two-minute warning and and everybody is scrambling to uh, to get something touched down before transmittal. More with Mike Batista in just a bit. It's from Montana for Montana, Voices of Montana. 
Does your home qualify for a $70 discount on your internet bill? Blackfoot Communications is proud to partner with the FCC to help ensure that households can afford the broadband necessary for work, school, healthcare, and more. For more information on this federal program and to see if your household qualifies for a discount on your internet service, visit goblackfoot.com ACP. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. Pallet Sturgeon, are they making are they making their way across the intake diversion dam? There's been actually a release uh, here about okay, no more no snagging in that new channel. I'll tell you what, Brian Bennett will have more on that with headlines upcoming from the Northern News Network. Mike Batista is with us, Director of Government Affairs for AARP Montana. Um, I got a few questions here, some text messages. So the text line is 781 627 Five four eight three. I just saw someone try to call that line. It is that's the text line seven eight one six two seven five four eight three. And then uh, to call, it's eight six 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 two seven five four eight three. Eight six 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 two seven five four eight three. I was going to ask Mike Batista to take off his AARP uh, government affairs hat and put on that that old uh, corrections hat too. But let's let's wait on that first, Mike. Um, I got a, a, a text message here from Jim. You're listening in Whitefish, and that's on Kalispell's KOFI. Jim, thank you. I really appreciate you. Um, I saw a bill was introduced to eliminate state income tax on Social Security for senior citizens. I haven't heard anything uh, more about it. Any thoughts on this? I will say, uh, and we're going to have the governor back in tomorrow. Last time uh, Governor Gianforte was here, somebody else had had also questioned the governor about his stance on taxing Social Security or removing the tax on Social Security. He says that he would have liked to. Um, he'd like to see the income tax, the overall income tax rate, um, get reduced first, and, he, and and they're not there yet. So it's it's sort of a uh, or reconfiguring of the entire tax structure. But this is uh, there are many who are concerned about you know why are we taxing Social Security? Yeah, yeah, it's it, it, it's a big it's a big issue, and there's no issue that we hear more about from the people that we serve than than this particular issue. It, mm. So there was a bill heard yesterday. Uh, Representative Fielder from the Thompson Falls area at House Bill 526, and it and it really was to to do away with Montana taxing Social Security. So the bill was heard yesterday, and our position has always been that Social Security was not meant to fill the state coffers. The Social Security, the taxation of Social Security accounts for a significant amount of money in the general fund for the state, and we just don't believe that that's what Social Security was in, intended for, was intended to carry people into their retirement years. So, you know, I think, you know, I've talked about, a little bit about this before, Tom. There are only 11 states that still tax Social Security benefits. Uh, the, the remainder of the states do not. And, and most recently, North Dakota stopped taxing Social Security benefits like a year ago. Nebraska, I think, uh, passed a bill uh, last year uh, to phase out so the taxation of Social Security by two years in their state, and New Mexico uh, followed suit and did the same thing. So, um, you know, this, this 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 is money that you know that that people have worked for. These are benefits that are earned in a lifetime of work, and they've long contributed to the economy. And you know, and I have talked about the longevity economy before. Yeah. It's sort of interesting because I think out of the two hundred and fifty four thousand beneficiaries somewhere around that number 
just about 50% of them, Social Security benefits account for 50% of their income, and 23% of them, Social Security benefits accounts for about 90% of their income. So it is something that, uh, that people rely on, and so it, it's an issue that we'll, con- we'll continue to fight for. I'm hopeful that the committee will hear from a lot of people uh, about this issue, and, you know, this is one of those tax equations that, you know, um, you know, it's, I think it's pretty hard to look people in the eye and yep. say, you know, we're okay with double taxing you on Social Security. Yeah, yep, and and I mean there are other areas too where this double taxation comes into play, and you know I yep. know philosophically uh, or, or politically p- from a policy standpoint, a lot of people uh, opposed to that, and I think we've got to have a bigger conversation about Social Security. This is a different issue, but um, I'd like to see yep. people get real, real honest um, with with facing these issues. Uh, Pat is listening in Helena on KCAP. Good morning, Pat. You're on the air with Good Mike morning, Batista. Tom. I hope everything's going well with you. They're hanging. Um, I just have a question I want to push in here, or, or a fact. I'm an elder. I'm a retired elder. A person who I could hire to do a round trip out to where I live in home for in-home service would have to drive 40 miles round trip. And you know what gas is costing. And I checked with a sister who is in Laurel, and she would have to pay $100 for the day to get that kind of service out to Laurel from Billings, I think. Mm. Anyway, we have to add in, we are rural, a lot of us seniors. We're living in the homes we uh, were in when we were in our careers. Mm -hmm. And uh, the weather and the road conditions in winter uh, would discourage in-service help. And I don't think that people who are considering this are looking at what kind of homes we're living in, how we're heating those homes, what the road conditions uh, uh, are in winter, and uh, how far a service person would have to travel. So, uh, you know, there's another part of this, too, for seniors that I need to bring out, and that is the fact that when we were in our careers... When we got $30,000 annually and we were putting money away for our retirement, we thought, well, we're fixed. But guess what? Now we have both people in a family working, bringing in money, and it's gone up to something like $140,000 annually for, that, uh, for those people, whereas we are still on what we were making way back in the day and thinking we had uh, taken care of things. I don't know if anybody's talking about that. And that's why we can't afford these $1,500 a month rentals if we can find them, which we can't, and, uh, and the nursing home or the assisted living home or whatever you're going to put out there for us. So anyway, I think this needs to be explored deeply. Uh, Montana is unique. We're rural. We've got the people out on the reservations without their uh, medical help. And uh, so, you know, distance uh, is is important and weather, of course. So anyway, put that in. Yeah, my, I think, thank you for that, Pat. And, and Mike, there's a lot of things to respond there, too. But um, I think she kind of noted how, how difficult it would be or how, um, uh, I guess, complex putting some of those more resources you know, repurposing that funding in the right direction 
to have people age in homes uh, a lot. It sounds kind of relatively easy on one point, but she points out uh, that there's complications. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 her, her points are well made. I, Pat, I think, um, you know, the, the rural nature of Montana is really one of the reasons why. Um, so we're looking at expanding in-home care. I know there's some challenges that, that come with that, but a lot of that, um, I think, can be helped by the ability to hire uh family or friends as, as, as caregivers. Um, there are a number of states that allow that and provide them the resources to, to do that. Uh, but your point is well made because there are not assisted living facilities, nursing homes um, located throughout Montana, particularly in, in, in rural areas. So there needs to be a better option. And one of those might be to also to build out the area agencies on aging that serve Montana's in, in, a, in a variety of locations throughout Montana. So there are some options out of there, and that's the discussion we would want. Let's let's really have a serious discussion about what that looks like. Pat, thank you for your call. I appreciate that. Uh, I know there's um... many of our many of our young people moved out of state uh, when they graduated from college or got out of high school. A lot of people are in Seattle, you know, and I know the governor is trying to lure them back to go to work in Montana, but I don't think they're coming. Oh, and I so don't know. I might argue with you. Might argue with there's a lot of people coming. Those people, oh, they're coming from other states because they like our tax system. They don't have to pay, uh, you know, sales tax. Hey, Pat, but, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on. Okay, um, bye. Yeah, good stuff. Thank you for that. I gotta take a quick break, and Mike, and then I'm gonna come back and just get a, a two minute thought on how things are are going from the 68th legislature uh, as as a former corrections officer. Back with more in a bit. Does your home qualify for a $70 discount on your internet bill? Blackfoot Communications is proud to partner with the FCC to help ensure that households can afford the broadband necessary for work, school, healthcare, and more. For more information on this federal program and to see if your household qualifies for a discount on your internet service, visit goblackfoot.com ACP. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. All right, I'm teasing him now, but I'm going to say I'm going to say I'm going to uh, two two numbers out here, and let's see if uh, Mike Batista, Director of Government Affairs, graduated Eastern Washington University with a bachelor's degree in criminology, know what they mean. Seventy nine, seventy four. Mike, seventy nine, seventy four. Seventy nine, seventy four. That was the score sure. the Bobcats uh, used to beat Eastern Washington last night in men's basketball. <laughs> okay. Oh, that, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I love the Bobcats. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. And we, we like Eastern Washington, too. Hey, um, uh, as, as a former corrections officer, I've noted some of that. You've got a long history here, and I just want to get, uh, you know, your, your two minutes on how are we establishing or reestablishing law in order? What's the 68th legislature's purview on, on uh, criminal justice? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think, I mean, you sort of look around Montana and you see, some significant crime increases in certain areas of Montana. I mean, certainly uh, Billings has, has had, um, you know, a significant number of, of homicide shooting-related incidents. And, you know, you look back at it all, and it's and most of it all is, you know, it's all it's all the result of drug trafficking. And, and it, it's really tricky because, it, on the one hand, you're trying to get more people into, into treatment and give them the option of, uh, of getting treatment, um, and then on the other hand, you have people that continue to, 
to uh, commit multiple offenses and and sort of escalate the violence and and I think there's there's a bill proposed by a legislator that is a Billings police detective that really takes a approach that you know not a lot of people are crazy about some are I think in law enforcement and that is enhanced penalty for people that actually traffic not people that have a history of using committing you know uh, a variety of other crimes but people that actually traffic and they're, they're the ones who create multiple uh, victims in their path along the way and so I think that that's I think that that's a good thing and then I've also seen uh, by the administration a pretty significant investment in Department of Corrections in terms of you know we've got buildings eroding out at Montana State Prison um, and so there are some long time uh, infrastructure investments that needed to take place, and I think that's a good thing. Oh, thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. And I'm just going to close with, uh, although the Bobcats did beat Eastern Washington in men's basketball last night, the Eagles are the top seed in the Big Sky Conference tournament this week. So congrats <laughs> to that. Owned up that's to it. News. Yeah. Hey, that's take care, news. Mike. Thank you so much. See you guys. Voices of Montana continues right after this. Man, we're we're lucky to have some talented and qualified and, and, and bright people here. I was just looking at Mike Batista's uh, resume about all that, that he is, you know, as far as a corrections officer, Department of Corrections official under Steve Bullock, uh, 20 years, Department of Justice. Uh, and this goes on. I mentioned some of that as well. And then I'm looking at Dr. Robert Tino Sonora, a two-time Fulbright recipient, uh, was a visiting scholar of economics at the Facility of Economics at the University of Zagreb in Croatia, um, and now joins us here as Associate Director of the BBER and Director of Healthcare Research. How you doing, Tino? I'm hanging in there, Tom. How about you? The same, and I appreciate awesome. you being here. Dr. Thank Robert you. Tino Sonora. I'm going to read you this. It comes from Katie Peterson, and we'll, get, uh, we'll use it just to get into discussion about nursing homes, and then overall the affordability of, of healthcare, sustainability of it as well. It's something that we um, do continue to focus on. So Katie Peterson is communications person with the Montana Hospital Association, uh, bright and very much involved. And as I asked her uh, about um, some of their viewpoints on nursing homes, she's, she responds, our healthcare system is highly interconnected. We are only as strong as our weakest link. So if nursing homes struggle, it impacts the entire healthcare system. Nursing homes play a number of key roles in our healthcare system, including rehabilitating patients that are not ready for home, but no longer need the high acuity and more expensive care at hospitals. As nursing homes close due to low rates that don't cover the cost of care, that has reduced the number of beds for that level of care. It's created bottlenecks in our healthcare system, driven up by healthcare costs and threatens access to care for those who need high acuity services. Um, there's some good work being done in the legislature this session to address the issue. I, I like that, uh, uh, doctor, and I just want to throw that to you. It seems to me to, to sum up uh, this situation, at least in the aspect that um, our healthcare system only as strong as our weakest link, and everything um, impacts the entire healthcare system. Uh, I, I know you have researched uh, a ton of this as director of healthcare research uh, at the BBER. Your thoughts on that statement? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, we everything's got to be connected. I mean, and we have a very uh, our system is so disparate and so and so seemingly, although connected, it just doesn't seem to be very connected in terms of how we do it. You know, how it's actually uh, put together. So it it seems very to me 
very sort of segmented in many ways. And so, yeah, I think we need to figure out a way to try to connect it even more so that we can actually take care of people sort of, for lack of a better word, kind of holistically from birth to death, right, rather than just sort of like you're in this you're in this particular hospital or this type of setting and then that setting. And then if you move, you've got to change your setting again. And we need to figure out a way, I think, to make it much more universal mm-hmm. um, so that we can actually take care of our, 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 our population from birth to, to death. Um, you know, in the United States in particular, we move around a lot in other countries. So, th- so we, we have to rely on, on sort of other types of services rather than family. So in many, yeah. many cultures, right, you know, there's five generations living under a roof or whatever. And so you do have much more of that sort of social safety net rather than from a, from a or family safety net, shall mm-hmm. we say, uh, rather than just this overall social safety net. And it is an issue, particularly in a state like, like Montana, which is very rural. I mean, we've got, you know, maybe 20% of our rural health care centers are, are, are not on the cusp of closure, but are kind of um, in danger of yeah. closing. And that includes, that will include some nursing homes. And, and I think that's going to be something that we really have to consider, particularly as we have a relatively old um, population. I think we're about the fifth or sixth oldest state in the, in the country. So we, we it is very complicated, but maybe sometimes we overcomplicate things and try to overthink stuff. Um, are there simple solutions? Like, like uh, it, it seems to me Medicare reimbursement rates are a relatively simple solution. Uh, but, you know, uh, if, you can always throw money, and that's not always the right solution, too. But uh, are, there, are there simple solutions out there that we're o- overlooking? I, I think what you've just hit on is, is probably the best solution, though. It, it might not be... The best solution, as economists like to say, it's the first best or the second best, which means not like optimal, but maybe like the next best choice. Um, But certainly we need to figure out a way that that we get this more universal kind of approach to things because you're exactly right. We're underfunding if you try to do uh, things the way we're doing it. Mm -hmm. It's just it's not sustainable, particularly in smaller communities where, where there's just not the income level or the tax base to actually finance that. And you need to come up with some alternatives. So Medicare, Medicaid, or any other type of, of national level insurance uh, will certainly help to cover that. And, and, and hopefully in doing so, we'll actually, you know, potentially reduce the costs to individuals um, and reduce the overall a burden on the quote-unquote taxpayer because you get much more risk-sharing. You, you tend to, when you include more people in the in the revenue stream, you tend to lower the cost per person. So it, it's those kinds of things that we need to think about. Now, whether or not we're politically ready for that is another can of worms, and that's outside of my my wheelhouse. But suffice to say that, you know, that's what most economists think is that we need to come up with a much more broad-based way of, of doing our health care. And I think, I think the solution is relatively easy to say. And, if I, of course, if I knew the solution, I'd, I'd be a millionaire. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think that would be a way to sort of move in the right direction. And particularly, again, in Montana, where, where the distances are so huge, um, and, if, you know, we just can't have... Uh, our older retired populations living in like nursing homes with one or two people that's just not you know economically feasible to do so so they're going to end up moving so it, it, you're right it, it's like a whole it's a whole thing i mean it, it's it, it's it's just requiring us to to rethink the way we do things well and that's um you know and that's good right um because there's there's inge- um, um, ingenuity that that comes from our backs against the wall so to speak and 
I don't know that we're there yet. Um, Dr. Tino, Robert Tino Sonora is with us, Associate Director of the BBER, Director of Healthcare Research and Senior Research Professor, BAs from Connecticut College uh, and Masters in International Economics from the University of Essex, and then uh, that's in UK, uh, and then Masters and PhD from The Ohio State University. You, uh, um, The BBER has done a lot of um, healthcare research, and I would encourage people to go there and check it out. It's BBER, Bureau of Business and Economic Research, UMT. Dot edu. They just do, uh, and all that, all those publications are are there. I went back because you guys have been doing kind of like a, uh, an outlook uh, on our healthcare um, over a period of years. I think the last was in 2016. You did some various studies, but I'm going back there, Atino. The big unknown: Will healthcare spending per capita grow, shrink, or remain constant? Um, yeah, is there is that still the big unknown? Uh, I think I think people assume it's going to keep growing. Um, We've got a relatively aging population. Um, we're not Japan by any stretch of the matter, but we are a relatively old population, and the demographics are just moving in the direction that with longer life expectancies, although I, I actually having said that, you know, life expectancy did, did actually fall for the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, but um, certainly with some populations, and in our state where we're relatively old, I think these expenditures and the, the employment requirements um, in this state are going to continue to grow. Um, Especially, and we're especially up against the wall because we, because of in the post-COVID world, we've lost a lot of employment in, <clears throat> excuse me, in healthcare and social assistance. Hospital employment seems so far to be okay in the state in general. Um, it kind of was above the pre, it's about on COVID, pre-COVID trend levels now. But what's more concerning, and this is going to include nursing homes, um, and other types of at-home outpatient types of care is that the overall health care and social assistance employment is still well below pre-COVID trends. Mm. And so it's just going to put more stress on those that continues to stay in the, in the industry for, for outpatient care, and that would include nursing homes. Um, and also it's just going to sort of decrease the quality of care that, that, that we're going to be getting. And again, given that we're in a relatively rural society, or rural, I'm sorry, rural state, it's going to be very, very difficult in these rural communities. And, I, and I, I'm concerned that, you know, maybe it's going to start coming more to the sort of hospital centers of the state. So, you know, like Billings or Missoula or Kalispell or, something, or, or Great Falls and put more stress on, on those communities as well. So, it's it's going to be something that we really. I think it's going to rise. I I, I don't see any other change in a you know in the in the way we do things at this point. There has been no real structural break, if you will, uh, in the way we provide our health care, and that that actually points that it's actually going to go start falling. A, a couple of things to note off that. Well, well I'm going to mention this first, and, and thanks to Brian Bennett, our news anchor, for bringing this in. This just released uh, Wheatland Memorial Healthcare. Um, again, that's Harlington, Montana, received a $19 million investment from the USDA to build new health care facility in Harlington. Um, and, and so, uh, I, you know, there's focus and there's funding going in, in that regard. I'll maybe comment on that here. But I want to ask this question because, again, it's in that underneath that big unknown. One of the questions uh, you pose is, will unnecessary care be reduced? And and as we're talking about uh, health care costs uh, getting out of reach for a lot of people, uh, and maybe even for our governments, then we look at pulling back on care. Um, and then just as you sort of noted, uh, does the quality of care suffer? Is it planned? Um, and is there, uh, have we uh, reduced unnecessary care in the first place? Uh, I, you know, our system is set up 
to actually not use do preventative care. Um, yeah. You know, and that's an issue because the initial health care costs can be so high. You know, people wait for things to get really bad before they go to the hospital, whereas, you know, if they had had been able to take care of it, you know, in, in earlier, perhaps the cost would have been much lower. But the way we have this, uh, the way the whole system has kind of been created incentives is for us to 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 wait till it gets too late. So I think if we could sit, sort of start shifting our, our focus away from reactive to preventive, that would certainly help. And I know that's one thing that we're doing, and we're increasing the number of people that are insured, which is great, and that should help reduce overall health care costs in general. Um, but there's some other sort of social things that are going on. I think, you know, I don't know the exact s- statistic, but it's something like, you know, 75% of all health care costs in the United States happen in the last six months of life. Uh, yeah. A relatively small percentage of people consume a vast majority of the healthcare, and for those for those people, it, it, it's that's what it's, it's huge costs. Uh, I think another thing we have for for them that's going to be huge costs. But I think another thing we need to address is these sort of uh, health cost surprises. You know where where people go in with a broken leg and then get a you know bill for two hundred thousand dollars because they ate too much Jello. Or however, however right. things work out, and it's those types of things uh, are, are are a big issue that we really do need to solve. And as, and sort of part of that is coming up with a much more transparent pricing system. I mean, there is relatively no industry in the world, you know, including healthcare in other countries, where you go into a hospital and have no idea how much it's going to cost you when you leave. Um, and obviously, and a lot of that is picked up by by insurance companies, but if you're uninsured, you don't know what you're paying for. You don't know, uh, there's no sort of, well, here's a broken leg cost, here's what it's going to cost to get an MRI. I think there's, you know, there's, there's, there has been a, a law that was passed that sort of transparency and pricing, but it's, it's not really been that sort of successful yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to come up with a way where people can actually kind of guesstimate at the very least what their overall health care costs are going to be uh, if something should happen. What do you think that'll do? I, you know, I hope that, that A, you know, if, well, first and foremost, it would make maybe hospital pricing more competitive, mm-hmm. one would hope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get these huge differences in prices for exact same service provided, you know, even within a hospital. You know, there was a famous study, um, maybe I should call it infamous study, <laughs> by RAND, uh, a couple years ago about MRI pricing in the United States. Right. And just like the prices of, of the same MRI could range from anywhere from like $50 to $5,000, um, even in the same city. Um, and in fact, Montana had a really wide dispersion, although our average cost per MRI was relatively low. Um, in terms of the actual variance, if you will, of the of the health, of the MRI, it was huge. It was one of the largest in the country. So it's 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 that kind of stuff that we really we really need to get a handle on. And part of the problem is is because so many people are still uninsured, and so to cover the costs of the uninsured populations that come into hospitals, we have to charge disparate higher prices to those that are insured. And so you kind of get this this again this moral hazard where the uninsured are being sort of subsidized, if you will. Uh, by the insured, and that's driving up the the healthcare costs for everybody. Whereas if everybody was insured, then then you know right out the door, I, I think healthcare costs would drop. Yeah, and, and we'd get rid of those surprises. But you know this goes back to the the law when it was originally written. You know the American Medical Association wasn't too too thrilled about uh, Medicare and Medicaid and wanted more sort of a la carte types of pricing um, rather than because Medicare and Medicaid was going to take. Uh, you know, pay lower prices for some services, and so they want a more a la carte. 
And then, of course, we have, you know, doctors have to borrow a lot of money to, to go to, to, to med school, so then they, they have to repay those, <laughs> those loans, and so there's an incentive for them um, to charge differently. And then hospitals, as we get growing consolidation of hospitals, uh, you know, not so much in the state of Montana, but across the country, there's been a lot more investment um, firms buying hospitals and trying to reduce costs, putting more undue pressure on, 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 on health care providers. So it, it's really, it's, 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 it's very complicated. Dr. Robert Tino Sonora, Associate Director of the BBER and a friend of the program, Director of Healthcare Research. Be well, Tino. We'll talk to you down the road, okay? 